welcome back to episode five of the Big Gay Book Club. I'm one half of this scrumptious Christmas cookie, Chris. And I'm the twinkling lights reflecting against the new fallen snow, Amy. And I'm so excited for this to be our first ever holiday episode. And I think we're even more excited now that we've read it to have read the amazing sapphic romance, Kiss Her Once for Me by Alison Cochran. Honestly, reading this, I knew we were going to talk about the Big A Blanket breaking its um, amazing return. But I this time, I kind of imagined it's red with white snowflakes all over it and you're bundled Ooh. up in it. And there's a fire crackling in a nearby fireplace and you can Ooh. see the snow falling outside and a calm, like, quietness has just covered the um, scene. I don't know. It's just like I love the perfect it. winter read. That it, I would agree with that. I think this is a very wonderful Christmas read. And uh, we're going to get into many of the reasons why this is the case. Um, so, Chris, I'm very happy to be here talking with you today. Yes. It's, I think, again, we need some context for our listeners. It is December 22nd. We are three days from the big day. Um, mm-hmm. Christmas for those who celebrate. I think it's kind of like amazing, honestly. We kind of had to do some fun scheduling magic for us to be able to record this month, but it's worked out really nicely that I think we're both getting into the Christmas spirit, I hope. Yeah, definitely. Or trying to. Trying yeah. to, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Even with all the busyness and stuff going on, it was really mm-hmm. nice. I think both of us finished this book. Um, not like within the last week, maybe within the last like half a month, right? Yeah, I think I finished this about two weeks ago. And I know I was just starting it as you were in the final chapters. Yeah, and I think was, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but was kind of all my excitement I kept texting you about kind of nudging you into it. It certainly was, which is also why I felt very comfortable texting you as I was starting it. All of my yes. exciting theories and hypotheses that and you kept... out were answered by, yes. <laughs> by the back of the book. <laughs> you kept telling me what you were thinking was going to happen. And I kept having to like, I mean, I'm texting you, so I'm not physically like zipping my lips but i had to because i was just like <laughs> she's absolutely right and i think that means this is probably a good story you know where they're setting all of the or she's setting all of the um groundwork to build to these fun exciting events that you can sometimes see coming which yeah 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 i wouldn't say it was necessarily predictable but there weren't really too many surprises which is nice in a read that mm-hmm. is uh you know, in a very conventional genre like uh, romance. Yep. And I think, I don't know if we can ever break this streak now, because if we do, we might disappoint ourselves and our view and our listeners, but our fluffy animal companion count is now five out of five because one of the main characters has a dog, an amazing dog in this book. And what's that dog's name, Amy? That dog has a very wonderful reference to a Bake Off host, Paul Hollywood. I know. Uh, I was so excited. And it's great, too. What a name for a dog. Oh, no, right? And it's fun, too, because um, the character who has this dog is a baker. So it, like, makes all the more sense. It does. Layers. Mm -hmm. Layers Just like all the pastries she's cooking. This book made me hungry. 
It did. Oh, and I, <laughs> we'll get into it more, but there's a lot of great um, just descriptions about locations, about just like baked goods and just uh, the characters have very, um, very intriguing interests that are very well developed, I feel like. Agreed. So before we well, get too far, we yep. You want to read the synopsis? Yes, I before will. Before we before we to. get into the discussions. So, this is the little tagline. It's the best time of the year. Dot dot dot. One year ago, recent Portland transplant Ellie Oliver had her dream job in animation in a Christmas Eve bookstore meet cute with a woman she fell in love with over the course of a single night. But after a betrayal the next morning and the loss of her job soon after, she finds herself adrift, alone, and desperate for money. Since finding work at a local coffee shop, she's just getting through the days, until Andrew, the shop's landlord, proposes a, proposes a shocking, drunken plan, a marriage of convenience that will give him in, that will give him his recent inheritance and alleviate Ellie's financial woes and isolation they decide to spend the holidays together at his family cabin to keep up the ruse but when andrew introduces his new fiance to his sister ellie is shocked to discover that his sister jack the mysterious woman she f- is jack the mysterious woman she fell for last christmas eve now over one festive week ellie must choose between the safety of a fake relationship and the risk of something real and it kind of sounds as kooky zany as it does or it is as kooky zany as it sounds <laughs> uh and i just every time you kept like is this jack this person like and i was like how do you oh but then i remembered you don't read the synopsis of course nope, <laughs> nope. and for me i i kind of was starting it and had forgotten because it'd been so long since i read the synopsis but mm-hmm. i had no qualms about going back to reading it kind of as I was reading the beginning. So then I, I guess I spoiled the surprise in a sense, but I wasn't upset about it because I kind of liked that I saw it coming. Yeah. It's also a a lot of things in the romance genre are, it's not about the surprises and the twists. It's more about the journey. Mm -hmm. So it's more about how, you know, all of this gets woven into a story and not what makes up that story. If that makes sense. Yeah. So, Amy, do you want to let everybody know why you recommended this book for us to read for Christmas? Yes. Yes. So, uh, at some point, I can't remember if it was uh, last year or if it was uh, earlier this year, maybe in the spring, I read Alison Cochran's uh, debut novel, which is The Charm Offensive. And um, this is like right off the heels of reading Red, White, and Royal Blue. And I had loved that book. And then The Charm Offensive was like everything I could have ever asked for in a rom-com. And it was sheer perfection. I love it to pieces. And I had heard that there was another book that Alison Cochran uh, had just released or was about to release. And it was a winter-themed book called Kisser Once for Me. And I was like, okay, I'll have to wait until it's wintertime to read that. But it's like top of my list of books that I want to read. And then when we started our podcast, because I had read The Charm Offensive before our podcast started, I was like, you know, I think it would be really fun for us to read a book that neither of us has read. And this book just happens to be perfect for this, like, you know 
spot that we've got open for our mm-hmm. ho- our, our holiday read. So uh, why don't we give this one a try? So this is uh, for the first for the first episode in um, quite a few episodes. This is a book that neither of us have read. Um, you know, any time in the past, we both read this for the first time for this episode, and so this is going to be our um, our conversation about how we feel about that. Yeah, and I'm excited that that's finally happening. I don't think there was anything wrong with the fact that we kept recommending each other books we had read and loved, but mm-hmm. it's exciting that we now have this opportunity to talk about this book that I think we were both pretty smitten by as we were reading it. Smitten's a good word for it. Yeah, I would agree. So yeah, I'm just, I was really happy as I started reading this book that this was the book that you kind of picked for this first time. I I gobbled it up and I used that phrasing specifically because <laughs> I drove with my parents to and from Thanksgiving to our families uh-huh. and it's like an hour and a half drive. So I had three hours of car reading time. Mm-hmm. And I think I read over half of this book in that time period and it was like the oh, perfect shoot. vibes for that. It was great. Um, and I just, I found myself, I couldn't stop. Like I got home from that day and I was just like, I think I was all reading out, like I had read a lot, but then I was like, I finished it within the next few days and it was, it was well, well worth it. Nice. How long did it take you to read it? Uh, you know, I actually keep track of precisely when I start and finish books. So let me see if I remember to do that for this one. Uh, I started this book at precisely 4.23 p.m. on December 5th. And it looks like I finished it at one fifty-five in the morning on December 8th. So, Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> I love that you do that. <laughs> I've been doing it do for years. Like a... I have this time log for years of all these books that I've read in the exact times. <laughs> Is it like a phone note or a Google sheet? How do you keep track of it? I have, um, I have, an iPhone. So I have the notes app and I just nice. have this dailies folder where I just, you know, anytime I jot down, like anytime a thought comes to me about like, you know, uh, a story idea or maybe some cool names, um, or I want to keep track of the books that I'm reading, I'll, I'll post it in there. I'm hoping by you telling me and thus our listeners that, that there might be a lot of people out there who relate to that because I think I kind of want to start doing that. That's, that <sighs> makes me very happy. <laughs> I just I just get very methodical and and when it comes to taking down notes and like logging my day it comes from when I started doing diary entries I think I started keeping a diary when I was 13 and like I fell I've fallen off on the whole journal train um many many years ago but I would I would write down the minute that I started my entry and so I would know when I finished it and there was a period of time where I was um obsessed with the idea of a single minute entry so I got that I got that down. <laughs> nice. Um, I just, I'm glad you brought up the charm offensive earlier because I was, I remember you told, we kind of, I think we planned for this book like well back in October, maybe earlier. And mm-hmm. so every time I have traveled to a bookstore, which has been a lot recently, I found myself in a lot of cool bookstores buying lots of books. I don't think I'll ever have time to read, but I hope to. <laughs> I did end up buying the charm offensive because I saw it was by the same artist or the same artist, same author. Um, (laughs) And yeah, it's in my bookshelf. And the more you talk it up, the more I'm 
the more I am inclined to maybe read it sooner rather than later. I actually think my time, specific time keeping like neuroses that I have is is very similar to one of the protagonists in The Charm Offensive. Mm-hmm. And I think that might be why oh. I love that book so much. <laughs> Ooh, neat. Okay. I'll have to read it so I can learn more about Amy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just, I keep thinking about this book and I keep smiling. I'm excited. Um, <laughs> yeah, honest, the, the vibes of this book were honestly quite immaculate. Like, I never felt upset reading it, even when upsetting things were happening in the, um, like plot itself. It was just super gay, mm-hmm. super accepting yes. in yes. how it was written in its prose, and it was also super honest and kind of got at some topics that I think might be challenging for some readers to read, but mm. in a good, cathartic way, almost. I think, and for me. I related to the fact that this book was about failure and it's like main theming and it ultimately has a really powerful message about how, or at least to me, what I feel like a lot of us queer folk might perceive as failure. And it's just how it's more than just failure. It's kind of just a part of our life and our life's journey and Mm -hmm. how the main character comes to terms with differentiating failure versus just natural life changes and stuff. It was really it was really deep for a Christmas rom-com. Not quite hallmarky. Yes. More no. more Sundance if you will. <laughs> I I would I would agree with that. Yeah, it didn't have it felt too elevated for Hallmark. And that's not like a mm-hmm. dig on Hallmark. I think Hallmark has found their formula and like they've perfected it and there's just something endlessly consumable about hallmark movies but they they do tend to be more unchallenging and i think that's part of what gives them the warm and fuzzy feelings Mm -hmm. this book i felt was made even more warm and fuzzy because of the trials that our protagonist went through yeah and how relatable they ultimately were um as i think what the biggest strength of this book is did you want to talk about anything else you particularly enjoyed about this book without delving into spoilers yet yes uh so that when you were talking about of like you know this might be a tough read for certain people like me me that's me uh as (laughs) a not so closeted perfectionist myself um it's just becoming more and more apparent to me the older that I get how much my fear of failure really holds me back. And I'm also, you know, overly ambitious in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, when presented with a choice of trying to do the safe thing versus doing like the daring risky thing that ultimately would pr- like prove to be more satisfying, it's so easy to see them as like the same type of choice and go for the one that feels safe because risks and mistakes, they feel very, very scary. And um, I'm sure there are a lot of other people who, for whom that like resonates with them too. But I feel like, you know, there, I think there's a reason that so many of us, you know, in this generation, the generations around us have this this perfectionist streak or a feel a fear of failure or of making mistakes. Um, and just overall, like how, how tough that fear can be to face on, you know, a day to day 
basis. So I I definitely learned more about myself while reading this book. And I do think that it has helped me, um, you know, see that there are potential ways to overcome it. And also how these decisions might look from somebody else who already has uh, eradicated that fear of failure from their life. But I do think that I will make this a perennial read if only so that every time I do, I'll be able to see all the progress that I make based off of how much I resonate with the main character. Yeah. Can I, I want to speak to that idea of perfectionism too, because I am very similar. Like (laughs) I, before we started podcasting today, I sent Uh Amy a picture of my new desk setup and it was like very, I, I, I don't know if you could tell, but I, I organized it right before I took that picture. And I like, I made the book right there and I made the laptop right there and I did that. And like, <laughs> I'm that kind of person in all the things I do. And I've gotten a lot better about it recently, but I definitely know that like earlier on in life when I was more, well, not more, when I was closeted, you know, um, <clears throat> I, this is this so this is this is my take on this about myself. Like I'm not saying this is the experience of every queer person, but for me personally, what I found was because that there was this whole idea of this thing being wrong with me. I don't feel like that anymore, but when mm-hmm. I was young and I felt that way, um I tried to offset it, I think, by being mm-hmm. so good at other stuff, like by being that straight A student and by participating in all the extracurriculars I could and like being um, the air quotes teacher's pet, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I related to the main character in her like seeking out like she was really good at this one thing. So that became her whole identity. And she right. um, pursued it because like this is the thing I'm good at. So like this must be what I'm supposed to do with the rest of my life. And I really, really, really liked how in the end she kept to keep doing that thing, mm-hmm. but with, I won't go too deep into it, but with, with a twist and like made it her own thing. And like, that's kind yeah. of what I'm doing in my own life right now. I don't want to get too much into my personal stuff, but like I went to college and I got my PhD in this one thing But throughout that experience, I decided, but this is like within this bigger, wide open topic, this is the specific thing I want to focus on. And now that's Mm -hmm. what I teach. And now that's what I just got a new job teaching, like specifically like the job I want to end up in. It's kind of like a fine tuned version of the bigger scope thing that I did. Kind of like how her big scope thing turned into in the end of the novel the tinier scope, more specific thing that she enjoyed more. That was very vague. And hopefully the people who read this book understand. <laughs> we can, we can go into uh, more details once we get into the spoiler territory. Yeah, exactly. Did that make sense? It did. I mean, to me, I know, okay. I know more details, I think, than our listeners do though. So yeah, I, I hope it did. I, it's just like you were saying, and I want you to bring up this fate thing. This, like this book is a lot about fate. And yes. I think it worked very well for both of us in the times we are in our life right now. Yeah. I think if you had to pick two words to say what the themes of this book were, I would say the book's, uh, the book's themes are failure and fate. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe it's just how 
you know, certain times books comes into your, like a book may come into your life at the perfect moment. And I do feel like for both of us, this book came into our life at the perfect moment. And I hope by us having this episode and encouraging, you know, all of you who feel like this might be a book you'd want to read, that it comes to you at the perfect moment in your life too. Um, I don't know if it could have come at any better moment than when I started reading it because I, uh, you know, I was a few pages in and I realized when I looked back at the cover that I was dressed basically the same as Ellie on the cover, which is just kind of wild. <laughs> 99% sure you sent me a selfie. <laughs> I I definitely sent you a selfie. There is picture evidence. <laughs> but it was just so funny, like down to the glasses. I think the only difference was that I had uh, my hair up instead of down and I was wearing a slightly different color. But like the shapes and everything, I had the boots. Oh, yep, I, was, I like, just opened the picture. <laughs> you sent it. It's amazing. <laughs> Maybe we can share that on our social medias or something to uh <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll, you can take a peek at it and decide it's it's just even if not it's just like it's there it's such a cool like fun coincidence on top of everything else uh-huh and so like as somebody who goes back and forth between believing in coincidence and not believing in coincidence this felt like one of those times where fate was just really present and really close and personal <sighs> okay so we're gonna we're gonna hold our fun specific spoiler stuff for a little bit longer, but we always like to be balanced in our discussions. So we always like to also talk about things we potentially didn't jive with or didn't like. So Amy, mm -hmm. did you want to start? Sure, I have a few things. Uh, I think because I was I had read the Charm Offensive and I was familiar with this author's uh, writing style and her previous work, I think I was able to look at it with a little bit more of an editorial eye as I was reading it. So um, I don't know. There were, I also read it so quickly. I can't quite put my finger on some of the ways that I felt, but there were parts of the story that just felt, um, I don't know, like flat to me or like just maybe rushed. It like, like it just had a sense of being let down as the story was progressing and I think part of it is because I would classify this book 100% as plot first. Like this is a plot based book. Everything about this book adheres to the plot and is molded to fit the plot. So, um, you know, the characters, which still felt very richly developed and very varied and they were fun and I wanted to know them. And I felt like I knew some of these people in real life. They still felt like it was about the character second and then the world building was a distant third. So there were a lot of really lush and quaint details about Portland, but I don't feel like mm -hmm. it makes me know what the city's like any better than I did before. Um, and while I liked seeing the characters play off of each other, sometimes they felt forced into contrived situations to serve the plot. But we can go more into this in, uh, I marked down some, some specific Example, so we can go more into this in the spoiler territory. But I don't know, Chris, did you have a similar reaction, a similar feeling about this? Yeah, I, I did, and I, I wanted to. You just brought up something that I hadn't actually written down, but I just thought about when you brought yeah. up Portland. And I don't know, I've never been to Portland. I've heard of Portland. I know, mm -hmm. I maybe I know a little bit more about it now, having read this book. But Allison kind of. She didn't tell us so much about Portland as she did us tell us about like 
the queerness of Portland and how it almost mm. feels a little overtly queer, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. how everybody is, um, and not in a bad way, but how like everybody is um, leads with their pronouns. How everybody um, is kind of open and accepting, which sounds like my ideal residence, but I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying I wish I also, in my mind's eye, saw more of Portland, you know? Like, I see a bridge. I see a bridge. I see a bookstore. I see a backyard with a camper. But I don't see this, like, magical Christmassy city like I'd like to for this type of a book. Yeah, and I wonder how much of that is because a lot of the time we're more isolated in a certain part or outside of Portland Mm -hmm. because we spend a lot of time at, like, this one house um and i yeah, find the main characters a very anxious depressed character at points so yeah. maybe we feel more isolated and confined like she does to her apartment so i don't that's know that's interesting i also i have friends who live in portland and i have heard uh you know their takes on portland i've heard other general opinions about portland and um what i have heard about it is that it is uh, a very queer friendly and accepting city but I've also heard that it's uh, predominantly very white. And so mm-hmm. I would have liked to see a little bit more about how Portland might be for uh, one of the first characters that we meet. I believe it's Ari. And um, she's a person of color, if I'm not mistaken. And so I would have liked to know a little bit more about how Portland might have been for her. But she also is a tertiary character. So mm-hmm. different story, I suppose. I'm like... It might be unrealistic for us to say we want these things out of Allison because she did write a very nicely written, succinct story. Mm-hmm. So it could have been hard to fit these details in. But yeah, like, I don't know. I, I, I was left wanting a little bit more about that setting because I was so engaged with the characters that were living there. Yeah. And then the the other big thing that I I kind of just... I kept dreading it. I kept dreading it. I kept dreading it. That like classic yeah. rom-com like downturn towards the end where like <sighs> yes. the two the two in love characters have the big falling out and like they're drifting apart and then there's the big like right at the end thing where they they realize they're idiots and they are actually in love and blah 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 like that is the I don't know if there's the hero's journey, there's the rom-com journey. And I feel like (laughs) um, we got that to a T and I was kind of hoping it would like, I always hope these types of stories are going to subvert my expectations Mm -hmm. Um, because like in this one sense, I was just like, these two characters are so obviously meant to be together in the end Mm -hmm. that I, I wanted it. I wanted it sooner than I got it. Um, I see. But I also think that, like, it wasn't unrealistic because, as we'll get into more, it kind of made sense that it happened the way it happened because of the situation and the characters and how the characters were as people. Yeah. Yeah. I I felt that, too. I felt the, the story beats pretty strongly. And I know that romance as a genre has... Uh, these pillars like conventions that are so foundational that to veer away from them kind of makes them not the romance genre anymore. But, Mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, if a formula, if this is Alison Cochran's formula and she's able to follow this in the same way that Hallmark is able to follow their own formula <laughs> in order to like keep publishing books at a really decent rate, then like I'll take a more formulaic plot so that we can have more of these rich characters that Allison is creating. And just like a very fluid, engaging writing style. Mm-hmm. Like I, I want to read more by her because I like like I'll use the word gobble again. It was just so easy to read and like so so buttery smooth, honestly. Oh, very, very accessible. I have okay, one more I nitpick. Think, oh, and then perfect, I think I want to okay. ask you if you want to if you would recommend this book. But my my last nitpick is that of all the furry friends that we've seen for this podcast and all of those books. Paul Hollywood is the one that I remember the least. I actually had to take a second after seeing Paul Hollywood's name in our script to remember if he was a dog or a cat. <laughs> oh, remember, no. I know. I, and like, and I just finished this book, like, what, December 8th? That was uh, t- oh, math. 22nd minus 8 is, go ahead, math major. What is it? <laughs> I was 22nd minus 8. Eight fourteenth. Yeah. Okay. So oh, how many? Weeks, exactly two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could have asked that better. It was exactly exactly two weeks ago that I finished it, and I feel like I should have been able to remember Paul Hollywood better. So oh. I think I just wanted I wanted more. I wanted more of our fluffy friend. So maybe we can maybe we can ask Allison Cochran to give us a little bit more in in her next book. Yeah, I also don't think this this furry friend was as pivotal to the story as others? Definitely not. Nitpick. Like I said, this is my littlest yeah. nitpick. <laughs> and it's just because we're such animal lovers here. Yes. Okay. I, I mean, definitely love yes. the name, though. Oh, me too. I And to get to what you were mentioning earlier, I would definitely recommend this book. I wrote in all caps, please, please, please read this book. <laughs> Because I think Allison deserves all the praise and all the support Mm. for her amazing queer writing. And I'm excited to read The Charm Offensive. And I do hope maybe within the next year or so, maybe we'll read it for the podcast. My hope too. And maybe there will be a third one by the time we get around to The Charm Offensive. So we'll see. Yeah, I, I think this is a laid back fast and fun read um and it might help you learn more about yourself uh so i also recommend this book uh bonus points for being holiday themed because now you always know the perfect time for a reread yeah i remember one of my first holiday reads ever like a holiday themed mm-hmm. book i don't remember what the name of the book was but it's the book the movie the christmas with the cranks is based on um and oh, no i've kidding. read that book a few times since then because of how much i enjoyed it um, but it's been a long time. But I just, like, I want to read more. I probably won't do it at other times of the year, but I want to read more. Maybe next Christmas we'll find another good um, holiday queer-friendly book. Let's do it. Maybe that can be our tradition. We'll find a holiday-themed queer book for December every year. Yeah. And then we can and... just take turns with our rereads after that point. Yeah. Awesome. So, with that being said, we are about to enter... The fabled spoiler territory where spoiler all territory. Are off. <laughs> Yay! The gloves are. No, you have to at this point. 
the gloves are coming off. We are going to no holds bar beat up this story for everything it's worth because we loved it so much. Yes. Okay, so we'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. This is the spoiler territory part of our podcast. So if you haven't read the book, you should probs stop listening and go gobble it up and come back to hear what we have to say about all the juicy plot details. Mm, juicy plot details. <laughs> Just like a <laughs> Christmas eggnog, if you will. Oh, I could go for a Christmas eggnog right now. Me too. Dairy-free, though, because I don't want to be in discomfort. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Um, so as usual, we start with a kind of overall um, discussion of the characters, which I feel like I kind of like have liked this because it naturally leads to discussion of the plots and stuff that are related to them. And then yeah. we get into more specifics after that. But, I mean, I feel like we might... This might evolve as we do more episodes, but I don't know. I like focusing on the characters more than I feel like I'd like focusing on the plot because as queer novels and as a podcast that focuses on reading queer novels, I feel like mm-hmm. I want to highlight the characters more, especially the queer characters. Agreed. I mean, it's it's far more common for the characters to be queer than for the plot to be queer. So, mm-hmm. Okay. So we have our mainest character, Ellie. Um, she is the one the book is centered around. Um, but yeah, it's a first person narrative and she lives in Portland. She's been there for about a year, right? She got a job just out of college working at this animation studio. Mm -hmm. But like I was saying earlier, she felt was her dream job. And so she kind of poured everything she had into it and got burnt out very quickly it seemed like and perhaps wasn't cut out for that sort of um intense work grind and i like based on what she told us about it i don't know how many people would like thrive in that sort of environment honestly it sounded Mm -hmm. like she had some toxic like supervisors it sounded like she was probably doing a lot more work than anybody should ever be asked to do. So maybe that little bit of that came from her perfectionist tendencies. But did you get the same vibe from about her job as me? Yeah, I, I it felt like things were being unfairly like portioned out. And that because she was one of the newest, I think she was just an intern, but she was one of the newer ones. And, you know, as a woman in animation, Uh, as somebody who's queer and as somebody who doesn't know how to really stick up for herself, like she doesn't have a lot of, I think, strength for confrontation. She seems to shy away from that quite a lot. And Mm -hmm. it is a a part of her arc where she learns to deal with confrontation a little bit better. But even then, like it's not really addressed so much in here. Um, So I think that all kind of played a part in her not being able to, find the right way to say to her manager like look you know this is a lot of work I feel like the expectations are unreasonable and I she like I don't think she got a lot of recourse 
for trying to make corrections if she wasn't performing up to their capabilities. But it also sounds like she kind of gave up prematurely. Like mm-hmm. she she automatically assumed she would fail. And so it was a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy in that, you know, oh, I, you know, I'm I'm probably not good enough anyways. And therefore I'm just going to fail. And so she just let herself fail, which was probably less scary and more of the sure thing um, as difficult as it was than for her to take that big risk and try to succeed. Because if she put her whole heart into it and still failed, I think that would have been even more debilitating for her than what ended up happening. But that might be just me reading into it. <laughs> no, I don't. I think you said it perfectly. And I was just thinking that like, I don't know how I'm I'm sure there's lots of books out there that really dive into this whole idea. Such a human thing about how you just accept the failure because trying is so much harder. And I don't yeah. think I've ever read such a like perfect portrayal of that in a yeah. book form. Like I think Allison hit the nail on the head when she created this character and this character's um, struggles in this character's identity because like I think you have mentioned being able to relate to it. I can relate to mm-hmm. it. I think it's just such a human thing to uh, have like put all of this weight on your shoulders and to be like uh, no this this is I think I just deserve this honestly like I don't think I was up to it. I think I failed like I think and not just accept that like I'm going to bring it up now, even though we'll probably get into it again later. It's just like, mm-hmm. I think what really, really made me realize how much I love this book was later on when mm-hmm. Jack was talking to Ellie about how, like, like I'm not mad because you lied to me. I'm mad because you just assumed I'd fail. And mm-hmm. how they're like, opposites in that and like I'm getting a little teary thing about it now because of how much I loved it like I just loved this dichotomy between Ellie and Jack and how it was a little bit of an opposites attract moment in that like Jack had this passion and Jack had this um also dream of opening up her own bakery and Ellie put all of this like eventually once Ellie learned that um Andrew was doing all of this big ploy to um, make it so his sister Jack wouldn't learn about the fact that she was written out of the trust and he wanted Mm -hmm. to earn the money back so she could get it. Ellie Mm -hmm. realized that and like Ellie loved Jack so she wanted Jack to have that fallback too. But the fact that Ellie felt that Jack needed a fallback because Ellie was so just... Failure was such a part of her mind and identity that she just thought Jack would fail too, that like that was the big thing that I think pushed Jack away in that moment I mentioned earlier that I was not looking forward to happening, but why it happening made so much sense for these characters and for what happened in the story. And yeah, yeah I've gone very ahead of myself, but I think it's just because of how passionate I am about that story beat and how it was so like woven and how just it felt like a really good payoff. Like, I still remember so vividly Jack being like, I'm not mad that you lied to me. I'm upset that you thought I was going to fail. I don't think that was the exact quote, but like, it was essentially that. Yeah, it was like, I'm upset you didn't believe in me. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that just, and I think 
Okay, so before we get further in this, Jack uh, yes. is short for Jacqueline. Uh, she's the mysterious woman that Ellie met last Christmas, and we see flashbacks throughout detailing what happened during that fateful day. Uh, fateful in the most literal sense of the word. Yes. Uh, back back at that last Christmas, and then the present tense, uh, the present current events is like this current Christmas. And... Um, Ellie ran out on Jack uh, for reasons that we learn later on in the novel, which kind of sets everything in motion for the whole story. And Jack is described as a butch lesbian who loves baking and lives in a camper and owns Paul Hollywood. So going to what you're saying about Jack, you know, she's her brothers, Andrew, they're from a very, very rich family and they have this, this grandfather who has passed away and has left, uh, the family, you know, an inheritance in the will. And Andrew who finds out that his sister has been written out of the will, tries to be protective and do everything that he can to ensure that she still gets her cut of the money. And, he goes about this by offering Ellie this marriage of convenience. You know, I have a stipulation because I am a commitment phobe and, um, you know, my grandfather thinks I'll never settle down that if I do get married for one year, I will receive my trust, which is the whole share of what he and Jack should be receiving. And then he'll split half with Jack. And that way she can make all of her dreams come true just in case things don't pan out. And I don't think that that was necessarily a bad intention. I do kind of wish that it wasn't kept so much of a secret, but that's just how, you know, the tropes go for this kind of romance, you know, genre. And, you know, in this market, I feel like having a fallback is a really good idea. But I also can understand <laughs> Jack's side where... You know, here's somebody who has always been a pariah in the family. You know, she lives in, uh, what is it, an Airstream or something? She lives in a camper because she feels like she needs her own space. She needs to get away from her family sometimes. And just being in the house with them, constantly harangued for, you know, how she dresses, how she acts, the people that she might love. Like, that's just that was too much for her and she just needed to have her own thing. And so she's portrayed as this like really romantic, you know, nomad with mystique and panache and all of this. When in reality, she's like just struggling to find a place that she can set down her roots with people who believe in her because she just never had that support growing up. And so I think that's a really lonely thing. And I love that throughout the course of the book, she's able to not only identify it, but also figure out a way to share that with Ellie, this person that she loves and with her family and figure out like, you know, these are the things that Jack needs in order to be satisfied. And so I do think it is a very satisfying payoff, as you said, when this con like confrontation happens between them where she's like, you know, I'm not disappointed or I'm not, I'm not upset and angry at you because of the fake marriage, like that you lied to me. Like, I wish you had just believed in me more and that's a way more complicated mm -hmm. just thing in general than like a simple truth or a lie. Yeah. And I like, that was the thing that if you like, you think about it for a day or so, it's like, I guess everything, everything they did make sense. Like I, you don't enjoy being lied to in that moment, but like, it feels so more personal about like the real reason that she is mm -hmm. upset. Yeah. And a lot harder to get over with, with a simple apology. You can say like, mm -hmm. I'm sorry that I lied. I lied for these reasons, but it's a lot harder to say like, I'm sorry. I didn't believe in you. 
Mm. I don't think you can. Like, I think yeah. you have to do a lot more than apologize for that. You got to like show it. And yeah. I, and I, yeah. go ahead. No, you go, go for it. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> Why are we like this? As they say know. in Heartstopper. <laughs> okay, but we're just meant to be friends. Yeah, I know. Um, let's talk more about Jack because I think what is like it wraps Jack up perfectly. Kind of like who she is, the humor she has. Like the name of her bakery is the Butch mm-hmm. Oven. Which is Love a it. slant on Dutch oven. And it doesn't so sound good. the same, but it's spelt the same. It's visually the same. And I just think it's like amazing. Like Me it's too. such a it's like it's such a good idea. It really is. And it's just like ah, Chef's kiss. Love it. Yeah. Um But yeah, I think we already kind of mentioned it, but this whole story is rooted around the fact that um Ellie and Jack meet in a bookstore on a Christmas mm-hmm. Eve. Is that like Christmas Eve. I think Eve, it's like, Christmas Eve, and they were going to spend yeah. Christmas Day together. Yeah. Yeah, and they we get this retold in kind of flashbacks, but they're actually stories from Ellie's um, online graphic novel that made me think of Heartstopper, of course. I like... Yes. I was just like, Ellie... Is Ellie just um, Alice Oseman? Not really, but like... <laughs> like this... I, I, I thought of the same thing, because I think... One of the only um, online kind of serialized graphic novels I've read is Heartstopper. So I kept thinking of, mm. oh, she's doing this like Alice or like Alice does Heartstopper, which I thought was really cool, like connection to make. Um, yeah. But yeah, what was I saying? I was talking about Jack and Ellie and how they met at a bookstore and how I just love that because of how many bookstores I've been in recently. <laughs> um but we're we're getting told the story of their night and their next day and the following the falling out um that was once again a little bit overblown by Ellie who just oh yes this failed of course it failed because everything that i take part in fails um which again i kind of liked how that was eventually come to and or how that was eventually resolved and we learned yeah. that um ellie had um answered a knock on the airstream door while jack was in the shower after they spent the night together and it was jack's mm-hmm. wife and i mean that's all ellie needed to hear was that it was jack's wife and then decided that oh it was a mistake i was just a one night stand and ran off and apparently yeah. jack was devastated and like spent the whole year sad and uh, once again i mean i guess not once again because i've only talked to you about this but taylor swift taylor swift taylor (laughs) swift taylor swift the main character loves her their songs are referenced but i also feel like it's so intentional do you know the song all too well amy i have heard it but i don't think i know the lyrics uh well enough to be able to speak about it Okay, so it was not mentioned in this book specifically, but as my friend, I need you to listen to All Too Well 10-minute version um, okay. at your earliest possible convenience. Okay. but the f- Because you're going to understand exactly what I'm talking about in that this whole idea that Jack saved her scarf for the full <gasps> year. I feel like it's okay. a specific reference to that song 
which maybe it's not, maybe it's just a coincidence, but like with how much these characters in this novel liked Taylor Swift and how like mm-hmm. her specific discographies were mentioned and songs were mentioned and blah, blah, blah. The and perfect like, Christmas album was mentioned. Exactly. I think it was Evermore <laughs> or Folklore. And I'm just like, honestly, I see that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to read. It's actually, it made its way into the author's bio in the back, I believe. Let me see if I can read it really quickly. Uh, yes. Alison Cochran is a former, former high school English teacher and a current writer of queer love stories, including her debut novel, The Charm Offensive. She lives outside of Portland, Oregon, with her giant dog and a vast collection of brightly colored books. She controversially believes Evermore is the greatest Christmas <laughs> album of all time, and she's probably sitting by a window right now hoping for snow. I just... I thought of you so much during this book because the music was so on point. Like just like in TV shows when they have like a classroom, like an English discussion about a book, that book is like distinctly relevant to everything that's happening in the plot currently. The Mm -hmm. music in this story felt exactly the same to the point that even Kiss Her Once For Me is lyrics from a song. I think Have Mm -hmm. a Holly Jolly Christmas. Kiss Her Once For Me. Have a Holly Jolly Christmas. And I think just realizing that as we got to that part in the book, it just made me appreciate so deeply um, the playlist that Alison Cochran must have been writing to the whole time. <laughs> I So music and writing are kind of like one and the same for me. When I'm mm-hmm. writing, I'm also thinking of the music that's backing my writing, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. I, like the one thing I am kind of passionate about that I have been working on off and on for a bit I heavily mention music within it and like what the characters are listening to or what the characters like or like how the character might think about music in this moment just because like I like I I feel like if I ever wrote a book and published it I'd probably have like a playlist at the like in the front of it or maybe a song per chapter like you should listen to this song and then read that like cuz I just how much I and that's why I liked this book so much because of how musically how like music was also woven within to it it was neat i love it i also think for your story here here's something you can do you can name your chapters the song title that you want <gasps> them to listen to oh my god it's kind of like i don't know it's kind of like how echo did it with the um horror book titles <gasps> yes Ooh. Oh, that's themes. a great idea i like it so we have ellie we have Jack. We briefly talked about Andrew. Andrew yep. is another character. And I say character not and yes, he's a character in the book, but he's also quite the character in just like <laughs> being really interesting. Like kind of not what you'd expect from the type of person we hear about really early on. Because really early on, Andrew is this wealthy property mogul heir that comes down to this coffee shop that Ellie works at to get a coffee every now and then. And he's very attractive and he's mm-hmm. very much just that. Um, yeah. So when he offers <laughs> to do this fun, like let's get married and you can have $200,000 scheme mm-hmm. um, to get his inheritance, I think it kind of took Ellie off guard, which obviously yes. And then they go out and they get drunk and then they wake up in the same bed and it's all over Instagram. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, yep, this is a rom-com. And I kind of love it. I'm really into it. 
And at one point, <laughs> a love trap is the way it is mentioned. And I think I sent you yes. a picture of that actual text from the book and said, wow, I, something along I was like, I, I love this book. I'm so excited about this book. Yeah, it was uh-huh. like, and that's why I keep using like the term juicy because it's just like, ooh, it's just like, it's fun. It's really, really fun and ridiculous. But mm-hmm. also... I don't know. I, I never, I never call these types of stories unrealistic because, like, who am I to say this couldn't happen? You know, <laughs> <laughs> Stranger Things, right? Stranger Things, exactly. Than yeah. So, uh, speaking of the love trapezoid, uh, the other member of that love trapezoid is uh, Dylan, who is a friend of Jack and Andrew's secret love interest uh also dylan is non-binary and so it's really cool to see the inclusiveness uh that you know this book has and also the inclusiveness of the family that jack and andrew come from which feels honestly a little bit ironic to me but i'll get into that in a moment but dylan childhood friend of jack and when they came out as non-binary um their family basically disowned them i believe is what happened and jack's family took Dylan in as like a, you always have a home here. Um, make sure you're here for every holiday that we have with the family. And I think there was, there was more to it than that, but it, it like warmed my heart with how accepting this family can be, but also you have certain members of it, like the grandfather who is distinctly homophobic and, uh, the father who just seems to have, an aversion to this family in general, I, uh, just a lot of things there that I, uh, that contrast just felt really marked throughout the book. And I think um, it just goes to show that family conflicts and drama can get very, very messy and complicated. Mm-hmm. And I think another reason I loved this book so much was not the family drama, but it was the family like the family mm, coziness, mm-hmm. like Mima, and I don't remember the other, the other, <gasps> yes, um, pa- the other matriarch's name. But I just like I we understood immediately like Ellie's devastation towards the end when she felt like she was gonna not be able to be a part of this family's life anymore because of how much like she kept like trying to get them to understand like I it might have started off as a ruse, but like. I I grew to love you like you are yeah. like I've never had this sort of a family feeling before and like I just loved I loved the family aspects of this book like <clears throat> one of the matriarchs telling Ellie's like yeah I, I I've seen through your ruse from the beginning I'm not going to like I'm not going to be the one to like ruin your um story though you like I knew about the trust and I understand why he's doing this and it's just like and yeah. also Andrew and Jack's mother just like I just I love that sort of a family where like suddenly like I bring a friend or I bring a um here's my wife you've never met or my not my wife my fiance you've never met which is what their situation Mm -hmm. is and just Mm -hmm. like welcomes her with open arms and like doesn't even think twice about immediately integrating this new face into the family and just like I think about my own family and like when I brought Sam back, my partner back east with me and how when he met them and everything was like great and whatnot and just um, like families that love you and love the people you love because you love them unconditionally. And it's just mm-hmm. like, oof, it's just so good. It is. And it, it's a very stark contrast to 
Linz, who is Ellie's mother, and just a very whiny and selfish and, uh, if I may opine, a despicable person for how little regard she ever gave Ellie in her whole life. 100%. The only thing that made reading any scene with Lynn's bearable was imagining her in a green fur getup because she was the Grinch to me. <laughs> like, she was <laughs> atrocious. And I kind of... There was... I'm really happy that the book concluded with Ellie kind of saying, nope, you're not a part of my life unless you agree to mm-hmm. these terms, which are you don't ask me for money and you actually make an effort to care about me because mm-hmm. I was afraid that wasn't going to happen. And I was afraid Ellie was going to fall back into her um, worse habits. And like, you Great. get it, right? Like you get yeah. it. That's your mother. You don't want to give them up. Like there's such right. a, there's such a blood aspect to familiar relationships in our society and, mm-hmm. and like in just humans in general. And I think everybody can understand that. And from the outside in, it's so easy to say, why don't you just say no? Why do you just, why don't you just stop sending your mom money? But I don't think anybody who might've been in that situation would say that as easily to Ellie. Like, you don't know, you don't know Ellie, you don't know what's going on. You don't know like why she feels the need to not cut herself off from her mother when that might be the only love she's ever known, right? Like, like yeah. I always try to be empathetic in that sense because part of me wants to say, Ellie, just stop. But I want to be the person that says, Ellie, I understand where you're coming from. And like, it makes like, it might not make sense to me, but you're doing what you think is best for you. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And like, I think there is a lot of empathy and sympathy that can be shown towards Ellie. Um, you know, Lynn's is her only family. She doesn't have mm-hmm. any siblings. Uh, her father's been out of the picture for as long as, you know, she's basically been alive. And, uh, you know, as somebody who is, and I'm not talking about myself, but Linz, Linz is the daughter of a narcissist who only thinks about herself, who manipulates and gaslights in order to get what she wants. And I could like, I could imagine it so clearly. I could hear her voice in, in my head, you know, these simpering smiles and the fake crocodile tears saying whatever she needs to say in order to get this you know, in influx of, of money that, that Ellie just doesn't have. And I can also see where Ellie's coming from in that, you know, you don't want to alienate the one person who is supposed to love you unconditionally, even if it's a very conditional love. And, you know, for as much as it's not healthy, it is an anchor and it is something that has all, like, it's, it's a consistent thing of life. You know, I, uh, Ellie has no other family except Lynn's and Lynn's always calls when she needs money. Like you can, she could probably set a clock by that, honestly. And so I understand how tough that predictability and that kind of like, it's a safety net in a way when, you know, everything feels the same. There's always consistency with the way that her interactions with her mother goes. She never has to worry about like there being a risk that her mother is going to suddenly stop calling her because she's, you know, she's never going to get rich. She's never going to find a husband who's going to stay with her long enough for her to, you know, actually feel any kind of like love or attachment. Um, And so Linz is kind of just all she's got. 
but I do really appreciate that she learns what love with a, a real family is like. And I think that's one of the strongest traits of a lot of the queer stories that we've been reading is the sense of found family, but mm-hmm. the family that you make through bonds, like real strong bonds of friendship and that unconditional love. Like, you know, it doesn't necessarily come from blood. Sometimes it does like it does with Jack's family. It's very obvious that they love each other there, even if that love isn't perfect all of the time. But to have Ellie be able to experience what that feels like and then not want to give it up and for it to be so healthy for her, like she's able to grow as a person because she has that support and that unconditional love from these people who who were so open and accepting that they had just met her a few days before, you know, and I think that's a really, really beautiful thing. And I don't think it's to be undersold as how much of a part it plays in this book. And I think that just transitions me super nicely into telling you that I think my favorite character was Ari because Mm. of how much she just in the end takes charge and Mm. like says, okay, Ellie, no, you're getting evicted. You're living with me in this house with these four other roommates and it might be a closet, but you're going to have a stocked fridge and you're going to have these people that will support you and you're going to have this essentially family. And I really, I wanted, I wish this book were 40 pages longer just so Mm -hmm. I could have gotten more of that like new life that Ellie was beginning in this household with Ari because I loved reading about it so much post like the Jack Ellie separation Mm -hmm. moment. Like, Seeing Ellie start to escape from out of the shadow of her mother and of her failures, of her perceived Mm -hmm. failures, I started to breathe again. And I started to just like, wow, I love where this character is going and I love this growth that we're seeing. And like, I finally think I understand Ellie and with how frustrated I was with some of her choices, I'm finally starting to understand that like, these choices were being made out of the, I guess, nurture of it all. Like she Mm -hmm. was a product of her upbringing and like a lot of the choices she was making were because of that. And now she has this new family that's kind of helping to shape a better her. And I just, I really wanted more of that part of the book because I loved it so much. I know. So Ari is... Ellie's coworker at that coffee shop, uh, just yeah. to backtrack a little bit for context. And the eventual roommate, you know, right at the beginning of the story, actually, Ari's like, you can come live with me when mm-hmm. Ellie's situation gets so desperate that she just breaks down in tears in front of her supervisor and in front of Andrew when she doesn't get a promotion. And uh, so Ari also is trans. And so I think understands what some of that, you know, Life doesn't always go the way that you expect it to, but we make the best of it. And I think that's what she's able to bring to Ellie um, and along with her really, really strong group of friends who are able to help Ellie get out of her rut. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> I want like I want to live in that closet personally. <laughs> like, like That sounds like an amazing household to live in. And I appreciated Ellie making the most of her situation. And I think that also we need to, before we continue talk about Meredith 
And yes. I wanted to bring up the fact that I read some, I always like to post book, read like, maybe either go to Reddit or go to like Goodreads or something and see what did other people think of this book? Like, are they thinking the same things I'm thinking? Are there other perspectives that are out there? And one of the perspectives mm-hmm. that stuck with me was that they hated Meredith. That like Meredith <gasps> was a bad friend they wouldn't want. And I just like, I couldn't disagree more. I feel like Ellie kind of knew this and Meredith was kind of just like that tough love that this character needed this like swift kick in the rear, the rear side in that like Ellie needed to be told these, Ellie needed to be told to shower. Ellie needed to be told to clean her apartment. Ellie needed to be told that you need to find a new place to live because you're about to get evicted in a week. Like, yeah. In the type of stage in her life where, like, she was so sad and depressed that she couldn't think of these things, Meredith flew across the country for her and, yeah, like, confided in her the fact that she didn't pass her uh, MCAT. What's that test? I don't remember. <laughs> the, the yeah, the it? lawyer one. It might yeah. be that. Anyways, the lawyer test, the like, bar, or whatever. The bar. There we go. Ellie said, "Like, yeah. but you're, you've never failed at anything." And Meredith is just like, "No, I actually failed this test the first time I took." And she's like, "Well, why didn't you tell me?" Because I, I don't remember the reason, but like, it was like I knew you we, would be like this. You would spiral and and take it as yeah, a sign that you exactly. couldn't do anything. Yeah, and just like, and that must have been like, it's Meredith is such a side character, but just you think about it, like. That must have been really hard for Meredith. Like, I couldn't tell Ellie this thing because I knew it would hurt her. And I wanted to tell, like, one of my best friends this bad thing that happened to me. But, like, Meredith still stuck around. Like, I don't yeah. know. I, I don't think I don't think everybody could say the same thing. Like, if you had a friend that you felt like you couldn't tell the bad things to as well as the good, would you stick around? And I don't know. Meredith yeah. was more of that unconditional love Ellie needed. And I don't know if Ellie deserved it, but I'm so glad that she had it. Yeah, I feel like Ellie, okay, so the traditional term protagonist, like protagonist, it means they are doing something. They are like, they have an objective and they are actively taking measures to move towards that. And I feel like Ellie is actually quite passive. If there is a protagonist in here, it would be Ellie by proxy of Meredith Meredith (laughs) is the catalyst for a lot of the things like Meredith is the one who, you know, Ari tries, Ari really tries to do it. And I think that's one of the reasons I really, really love her. And I wish we had more of her. She's kind of the person who wants to be the catalyst for Ellie, but they're, they don't know each other well enough for, you know, Ellie to immediately agree when Ari's like, just come out and have drinks with me and my friends. I know you're going to love them. And Ellie's scared and she's like, uh, they're probably going to hate me. It's not my crowd. I'm just going to go home and do the same thing I do every time. And Meredith is the one who's like, you got to go out. You got to do this. And I have to imagine that for as much as Meredith has been friends with Ellie, for as much as she stuck around, she's got to have seen it all with Linz. Mm-hmm. And so... Like you said, for her to still be by Ellie's side and know the ways that Ellie, like, I, I kind of imagined that Meredith is all of us reading the book and being like, oh, come on, Ellie, just don't take the call with Linz. Oh, just go and ask, you know, Jack out on a date. Just like, do this, do this, do this. That's Meredith. And I feel like Meredith is our audience surrogate and and the way that we're able to, like, shout at the book and Meredith hears it and tells Ellie what to do. And so mm-hmm. I really, really appreciate her. And I think... Uh, I, wow, I can't believe there are people who don't like her. She's so pivotal. Yeah, I I agree. I read that and I was just like, don't normally say this, but you're wrong. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I 
I liked Meredith and I liked that she was actually physically present at the end of the book because it was it was more fun dynamics like like more of the fun dynamics I wish I had more of in this book I like agreed like I loved the I loved the Christmassy like at the cabin with the Kim Prescott's and the family and the um, drama of the snowstorm and the stress and the staying overnight in the cabin Uh, I have a question for you did you i got very like secondhand anxiety about jack and ellie in this in this person they don't i mean they they know this random person's cabin eating their food Mm -hmm. and like using their stuff i'm just like that was just like so out of character for me i'm just like it's just i suppose it comes with money and just like we can just replace it all like we can just give them the money to replace it all i'm just like (gasps) yeah considering they didn't really know too much about them it was just oh they've always lived here and like like vacationed here and we invite them to you know our holiday party every year but like Mm -hmm. they didn't know them well enough to know they weren't going to be coming up that winter and i i think that is that is one of my complaints about the book is that it does feel too plot focused and i think this was a way that they like kind of contrived these like fantasy situations where, oh, what happens if you get snowed in a, like a cabin that is not yours because of desperation of hypothermia with the person that you're crushing on? And mm-hmm. like, I felt like there were a lot of these little vignettes in the story. And it was tr- like Allison's job was like, she imagined some really great scenarios, but then had to find a way to interweave them. And I don't feel like it was seamless and it felt contrived. And so that's why I feel like some of the, sometimes the characters are like forced into these plot points, but still cute. <laughs> still cute. I mean, some of those moments were a little pivotal too. I think I, that might've yeah. been kind of the time when Jack and Ellie reconnected on like the the deepest level and i think that was when ellie was just like i'm choosing jack i'm not choosing the money anymore but yes so i don't know do you have anything else you want to talk about in terms of our story's characters we want to get into the main topics we want to talk about uh i have uh one of my main topics that i want to talk about that is a bit character related tertiarily um but i like how in the first flashback of the story we don't know too much about jack we just know that there's this this love interest and ellie uses the they them pronoun until a later flashback when she gets confirmation that jack also uses she and her and i thought that that was just a really profound moment it helped with the I hadn't read the synopsis, so I really didn't know what to expect, but it helped with the whole like mystique around this, this stranger. Like it's, it's definitely a stranger. I am not even making assumptions about, you know, how they would want to be, you you know, referred to as, Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I feel like we were there for the moments when they were getting to know each other right at the beginning. And I thought that was, that was really beautiful. Um, yeah, I agree. I I was I normally have a lot written down for this mm-hmm. portion of the podcast, but I think I think I just read this book too quickly, but not in like a bad way, <laughs> in like a I was like watching a movie sort of way, and where I yes. really like I was thinking today and earlier like I didn't have the book with me, 
but I normally don't have the book with me when I do this to think about the things I want to talk mm-hmm. about. And I just like, I think I, it's more of like a whole overall feeling about it all. And I think okay. my biggest thing that I did want to bring up was mm-hmm. just how relatable to me, um, Ellie's anxiety and depression and just feelings in general are. Mm-hmm. I don't, it always felt very forefront of this character. Um, but I don't think Allison was ever too heavy handed with it. If that makes sense. Um, because it felt yes, realistic. It, it felt realistic enough that as someone who's felt these feelings and maybe thought in these ways before I was able to empathize with her and relate to her and see myself in her as well. So I just, yeah. I want more people. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty out there, so I need to find them. So I either need to find them or I want more people like Allison to write these types of stories. And I feel like they might just be stories that like write what you know sort of thing where they're so well written and they're so well addressed and developed because the people writing these stories are queer and have had these feelings. And I think it's why us queer folk might relate so immensely to them because it's such a like everybody's story is different, but there's all these universal type of feelings you feel when you're have this sort of life where you have um you go through very similar like life milestones mm-hmm. but yeah I, yeah I mean i'm sure i'll think of things as you're talking so i kind of yeah. want to see what you have to say about this quote you brought up before i do that though i do want to say that um about your point of how you know, Allison handles these topics of anxiety and depression really, really well and, and like delicately. Um, it's decided we're definitely going to read The Charm Offensive in the future because that's exactly my feeling about that book. And that book tackles uh, panic attacks. And I think um, the way that those scenarios are brought up, it's just very, very apparent that Allison has this like deftness when it comes to sensitive topics, that it makes it feel really uh, visceral in the moment, but also understandable and relatable. And as a reader, you're able to feel the feelings that the characters have, but you also have that perspective of like better things are coming. And I think, especially for like depression and generalizing anxiety and um panic attacks like it can be in the moment really really difficult to remember that this this moment's going to end this moment will pass eventually because it just feels like it's going to be drawn out forever and i i really really love that we are getting more and more books um you know handled by people who are as great at writing as allison are to be able to provide examples for those of us who suffer from anxiety and depression and panic attacks to know that, you know, we're not alone and there's a way through this where we can see ourselves having a life where we're not so burdened by these parts of ourselves. Yeah. Just like, I don't know, you're somebody might read this book and feel like it's giving them permission to say no to that toxic relationship you're keeping because of whatever Mm -hmm. reason it might be and say yes to the relationship you've been avoiding because it was scary or it was um it looked difficult to you from the outside and just like 
being able to read this type of story. And when I say like give permission, I just mean like push somebody in that direction, like give you the mental permission. You feel like you need to take that very scary step. Yeah. So yeah, it's, mm, 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 mm. (laughs) Okay. Do you want to talk about the quote now? Yeah, I'm. Re- I really want to know what it is. So I'm, I haven't even looked at two eighty. I haven't even looked at the page yet. I'm excited. It's on page two hundred and eighty one, and it's uh, in a scene where Jack and Ellie are confessing their like what they consider to be like their flaws or like things that have been hindering them from the life that they wish they were leading, and this is the conversation where. Ellie is admitting that, you know, art and being good at art had just become her whole identity because she didn't have anything else really going for her as a child. And she just continued being good at art because that was the way that she thought she could bring value as a person to the world um, and to the people that she knows. And so, you know, she's saying all of this and Jack is kind of teasing out of her. Why don't you love art anymore? Like what, why do you why like why why is this all happening and then jack is admitting why she dropped out of college and i think this is going to be a pretty long quote because i want to provide the proper context but um she says that she feels this kind of emptiness like a restlessness inside of her all of the time um and she hated college And here's where the quote begins on page 281. The only time the emptiness really went away was when I was baking cookies for everyone on my floor in the awful dorm kitchen. That was the only thing that brought me actual joy. And I eventually figured it out. The emptiness was the absence of myself. I was emptying myself to become the person my dad wanted me to be. And I kept searching for all the wrong things to fill me back up. I couldn't keep living like that. So I dropped out. And then she goes on to say that that's how she, the same feeling that she had with her wife. And that's the reason why they ended up separating. And so the quote that really like spoke to me is Ellie, her re- reaction to it. Hearing Jack talk about the emptiness, it sounds an awful lot like my ache, like that pit that exists just south of my ribs, the hole that I thought was loneliness. But what if the ache isn't the absence of other people? What if the thing missing inside of me is me? It's terrifying thought because it means this hole inside my chest can't be filled by $200,000 or a woman with freckles and a quarter moon smile. And like mm-hmm. that, that's the end of the quote. That passage to me just spoke a lot to me because uh, I'm personally also, you know, still figuring out my identity and trying to realize that the things that I do don't necessarily make up who I am. And I, I just, there's just so much to resonate with that. So much like food for thought there. And it could be potentially such a throwaway moment, but there was just something about the way that it was phrased that just really made me sit with it. And I appreciate how much, you know, this is a theme that's explicitly brought up with Jack, you know, figuring out that she just has to do the things that make her feel like her in order to be her best self. Ellie, who, you know, has this told to her and she has this revelation and it makes her rethink, you know, what she wants to have as part of her life, you know, the people that she wants in her life and the things she wants to do. And I think it's really notable that the one character 
that this does not get talked about, but it still happens to is Andrew. Andrew, who continually gets like redescribed or reclassified as the story goes on by Ellie, you know, the first time she sees him, she's like, oh, he's like this, I don't know, like this Armani suit um, and, and sneakers or whatever. Like he's like <laughs> this, like, you know, finance bro. But then yes. like later on with his family, he's like, oh, well, he's like this, this sweater and this other aspect, you know, like he just keeps, she keeps changing up who he feels like. And it's always these inanimate objects and these like vibes, but it's not really like the sense, the, the essence of who he is. And I think it's because he needs to figure that too. And he keeps trying to be the person that the others expect of him. And I think that's why he's such a commitment phobe and decides that he would rather go on a farce of a convenient marriage with someone he doesn't even know rather than follow his heart and let himself fall in love and be in like and have someone else love him back with Dylan. And what's so sad is that based on what Allison is telling us, that's already happened. Like Andrew and Jack Mm -hmm. have already reached that stage of their relationship. But Andrew's, like you said, a commitment phobe and is too afraid to see it through. And just like Andrew I, and Dylan, you said Andrew and Jack. I just want to oh, clarify. Oh, thank you. I think I was <laughs> yeah. reading the word name Jack. So yeah, Andrew and Dylan. Probably. Like they were, like it's told to us that they've like been an off and on thing, and that I think it never sounded like it was not a good thing, you know. And yeah. like yeah. I wish that like I can kind of see why it Andrew might have thought of this, but he once again kind of like Ellie. Um, turned away from it because that can't work out for me. But I, I wish that Andrew had thought about and maybe acted upon like, oh, I need to get married. Well, I mean, like, it's not the greatest thing that that might be the push that gets him to like actually think about like, do I see a future with myself and Dylan? Like, but like, he defaulted to this girl I hardly know. I'll ask her to marry me and I'll offer her $200,000 instead of like (laughs) looking inward and being like, Oh, there's this person I actually have really strong feelings for. Maybe, maybe I need to stop being such a commitment phobe and actually try to start something in my life, you know? Right. And I just, I kept seeing like the missing, the lost potential there. I'm just like, if Dylan (laughs) exists, why is Ellie here? Hmm. Yeah, but I I do understand too because it's like you know for a commitment for marriage is such a forever thing, mm-hmm. and so you know trying to just get a marriage so you can get the money from a trust, but then if it doesn't work out, like that's going to be really painful. Whereas like he's he's deciding to commit to somebody that has an end date. It's just a year. And like a week or something or a year and a day and then he'll get the money and then they can amicably part ways and like go out about their lives. And I think it, I think it's really relatable to Ellie's situation in that I don't remember if it ever came up specifically, but part of me thinks it might also be a little bit of Andrew worrying if he's like his father because he knows what Mm -hmm. his father is doing to his mother. And Mm -hmm. like there's a little bit of like, this is this is who I'm destined to become because this is my upbringing, right? Like, I don't I don't know if there was a little bit of that in Andrew's mind too, potentially. Possibly, 
and because he's following in his father's footsteps in so many other ways, like, you mm-hmm. know, the business and, and it is, it is pretty, um, remarkable that at the end of the book, I think he is actually kicked out of the company. Like his mm-hmm. father kicks him out of the company. Yep. And but I, because of who he is and his work ethic, he's able to land on his feet. Yeah. And I, I was very happy that happened. I wanted, I wanted, I wanted Andrew to make that choice for himself, honestly. Yeah. Um, because yeah. I think it would have been a good character, a piece of piece of character development for him. I agree. I think we're about hitting that time. If there's anything else you want to chat about to wrap us up, I think mostly just the thing that that stuck with me the most, um, in a less not savory, but like the thing that I didn't care for as much was, was how there were a lot of ridiculous plot elements in here. And it did feel like the characters got these like plot points foisted upon them and they were kind of made to fit into the mold of it. Mm-hmm. But there was enough of a, a through line and a lot of really genuine heart in here that it kept me reading and it got me reading really, really fast. And I I do think this book has some really incredible and accessible writing the topics that are touched upon are very relevant to this day and age. Uh, I know a lot of other people in the same generation that I am also suffer from things like, you know, perfectionism and a fear of failure, um, but also a lot of anxiety and a lot of just, you know, there are scary things ahead. And and is it better and easier to just take the sure safe thing or should we actually try to take a risk because what happens if that fails and so I I think that there's a lot to love and a lot to learn in this book and um, it's very lighthearted at the same time so it's it's a really nice holiday read I just need our um, listeners to visualize me just like whenever Amy's talking I'm nodding I'm just like yep agree agree (laughs) agree (laughs) it's just like I feel like we are of one mind and a lot of what we talk about in this, which I've been really enjoying too. And Me because too. of that, like you say these contrived pieces of the story, or I see that you were talking about the mistletoe kiss. I think about that mm-hmm. snowball fight. I think about that freak, <laughs> freak snowstorm that strands them in the truck. I think about like, um, just like those random, like I think about Ellie on that porch that's next to this other porch, but they're not, it's like this weird, like Mm, mm -hmm. strain, like there's all these, like, again, plot driven choices that were made that ultimately I kind of, it's kind of like when I'm watching Dr. Who with Sam and he starts asking a question. I'm just like, you're thinking about too hard, dude. Like you can't do that. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's exactly, it's, it's very much like Doctor Who in that regard. And it's just like, just accept it. Yeah. This is just what it is. Yep. Um, you know, take, just enjoy the moments that it offers us. Can I say yes, one please. thing that I do, I do wish this and Alison Cochran, if you just happen to be listening, um, or any aspiring writers who are writing queer romance stories like this. Um, one of the things, cause I have read, you know, a, a decent, a decent bit of romance uh, stories in my life. And one of the, one of the stories that I have like the maybe tropes that I've come to love is that these books end up being the first book of, you know, a series that are all taking place in the same world And the first book is about Jack and Ellie. And then the second book will be about a character in their lives, like 
Andrew, maybe, except in this case, he ends up with Dylan. So let's say Ari. Maybe the second book could be about Ari and how Ari finds her perfect love, her perfect, or, you know, her perfect match and, and uses that, um, you know, that strong group of friends and has another very, very strong meet cute. And just, I, I would just love to see more of these characters essentially please Alison Cochran give us more of these characters I would love to see more uh of the ridiculous and beautiful scenarios that they find themselves in um and essentially just make sure that this big gay blanket continues on and it covers all of these characters so they can achieve their fullest potential yeah and if it doesn't exist either somebody has to write it or maybe I'll write it I want to read a story about (laughs) this like queer household type of deal that Ari lives in because like I feel like there's such great story potential there about this, like Agreed. this found family of people working together. And like, I could imagine this story where like you see the, pers- like you see all these different people's perspectives and how they're interwoven. And I don't know. It's mm. just, it, there's, there's so much potential here that I really like. Agreed. Agreed. But yeah, I, I, I think, I think it came across pretty well. I enjoyed that book for all of its um, for all of its fun silliness. It was also really heartfelt. I think you picked the perfect quote to get that across because, like, it's like I was saying, like Hallmark rom com, but also like Sundance level storytelling and like just like some prose that was really uh, like really profound. I don't. I think I would. I think I would confidently use the word profound and like revelatory yeah. for me. It was nice. It was a nice, fun mashup. Yes. Listeners, please note that I am nodding to everything that Chris <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love us. Okay. Well, thank so, you for discussing this book with me. I'm really happy that we both enjoyed it. And I'm very happy we got to do it so close to Christmas. And our episode is going to yes. come out on the day after Christmas. Mm-hmm. What's the opposite of Christmas Eve? <laughs> uh, it's Boxing Day. Oh, that's right. The 26th okay. is Boxing Day. See, and, would... and traditionally, for me, it has been the day that I sit down and I read a book that I have received during Christmas. So oh, I nice. think it's um, perfect. I was going to say something stupid like Christmas Ove. <laughs> <laughs> I like that too. Okay. So thank you everybody so much for listening to our first ever Christmas episode. And I say that so excitedly because I darned well hope we have a second and a third christmas episode um but yeah it's been awesome uh do you want to tell everybody what we're going to be reading for january of 2024 oh my gosh for our first episode of 2024 which is going to come out on the last tuesday of january we are going to be reading 12th grade night it's a graphic novel by molly horton booth and stephanie kate strom and I think this is actually a book you... S- no, no, no. Did you send I me did. this one? I did. I had... I read it and uh, yes. I did not send you this one, but we will we will get to that one too. But I read I read 12th Grade Night. It was actually recommended to me by uh, a bookseller when I was at a bookshop. And oh, nice. they spoke so highly of it that I bought it on the spot. And um, I, I think we're going to have a really nice discussion. Yeah. It's, it's kind of our... It's kind of the season where we're probably going to be reading um uh some graphic novels again so look forward to that mm-hmm. i know i am it means mm-hmm. i might also be reading 
another book or two in the meantime between these graphic novels to maybe enhance our future book library as well, which is exciting. I Um, love it. But yeah, this has been a really fun episode. I'm very happy with the places that our conversations went. Me too. Me too. But yeah. And I hope... Go for it. I was just going to say, I hope all of you out there listening have enjoyed it as well. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And if you did, or if you have any suggestions in terms of books for us to read or things for us to discuss that you had wished we had, but we never got to, feel free to email us, please. We did read an email we received from a listener beginning of our last episode. I'd be super excited to be able to do that more and more as we Mm -hmm. get those emails in. So please, we do look at them. Um, We do hope to hear from y'all and your thoughts and even book recommendations and whatnot. And if yeah. you do decide to email us, you can send those to the big gay book club at gmail.com. And we also have a Instagram that I have admittedly not posted as much as I would like, but I do see notifications if you want to message us there. Our handle is TBG Book Club. And I always post some updates about when our episodes come out and When I'm not super busy, I also take some snippets from them and post them. I also have recently been posting more pictures of my book hauls because, like I said, I have personally been going to a lot of bookstores that I shouldn't be going to and buying a lot of books that I do not need because of how smitten I am with reading again. And honestly, just the two two best things to have come from um, the Big Gay Book Club are getting to talk to you more about books plus just having an excitement for reading again that I haven't felt since I was probably pre-college, honestly. Wow. That's great. Yeah, it's really exciting. uh, Speaking of Instagram, you are welcome to post the photograph of me, the evidence that I was dressed like Ellie in the cover. (laughs) I'll do it for the promotion of this next episode. Perfect. Perfect. Okay, so please tell our amazing listeners a little bit more about yourself and the awesome things you do online amy yes so uh, i stream video games and music on twitch you can find me at twitch.tv slash jaspelior uh, jaspelior is spelled j-a-s-p-e-l-l-i-o-r i'm also the chief editor over at panico press where i am also a writer and i have two graphic novels out now one's called 12 and the other one is called don't thank me the first story set in the world of the bonds i have two more graphic novels in the works and i'm also starting on a new novel and uh, hopefully I'll be able to share more about that. It's just me squealing over here in excitement. <laughs> but yes, I'm, very, I'm very super excited to hear more. Thrilled. Yeah. Okay. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you to Kevin McLeod for the use of our theme song, Work, which you heard throughout this episode. And you can find more of his music on Incompetech. Well, until next time, everybody, I've been Chris. I've been Amy. And pray for snow because I want some. (laughs) White Christmas, please. Bye, everybody. Bye.